I heard that as seven day secretion guy. I was very confused. <laughs> what? Seven day secretion? Dude, if I'm secreting for seven days. Uh, that's because you didn't you. vaccinate. Because <laughs> yeah. I walked to the Lessons edge of the learned. earth. <laughs> and you caught measles, you douche. I caught measles at the edge of the earth. This is the Still Talking Podcast, our irreverent industry podcast with myself, Brian Christensen, Jason Zeno, and Colton Weinstein. Today we're talking about common distilling mistakes, bankruptcy, and things that make you go out of business and make you really sad. Like working with Jason Zeno. Like working with Jason <laughs> Zeno. Jason, are you just always sad? <laughs> that's just my, that's just the look on my face. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Real talk. Real yeah. talk. How you doing? How you doing, Jason? I'm good. I'm good, actually. <laughs> no, I think this conversation came up uh, a little bit because of something Jason sent us talking about Death Store Distillery, which is kind of what we would consider one of the older guard distilleries. They've been around for a while, well-received, award-winning, some decent money behind them. They just recently declared bankruptcy. Is that correct, guys? Yeah, day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And I think it's fair to say they're still considered a smaller tier distillery uh, i think they currently have what six employees something along those lines that I th that's probably after laying some people off I, we don't know all the details so obviously a uh, huge grain of salt about anything we talk about which is really the subline of this entire podcast yeah. don't don't trust anything yeah, we, we say. have we have very little extra information besides what you can find on google right but i think kind of <laughs> just a... using them as a case study a jumping off point of things that can go wrong in a distilling operation because as we've said many times this is a business first and on paper it seems like they had a lot of things going for them they had some you know really good people to start with i mean we know they had uh one of our good friends johnny jeffrey was there he really kind of helped them out at the beginning he hasn't been there for quite some time but they had good people they had good marketing pr they got a lot of really good articles written about them um i mean they were kind of I can't recall exactly when they started up, but they hit at the same time that like places like dry fly distilling hit. And it was kind of that new novelty where a lot of, a lot of local and national media were writing about new craft distilleries. So they got the benefit of a lot of that. And to see them have to declare bankruptcy is, it's a good indicator that the industry is, you know, we've got to be careful. We're, you know, even though we have a really good growth trajectory, things aren't always as solid as you'd like to see yeah, they had a they had a major investor. They they went national. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I see them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're in a lot of bars. Uh, you hear bartenders talk about them. They have a lot of respect. I mean, well, their flagship was their gin. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So they pushed a lot of gin, which right now is seeing a great you know surge in sales as well. Gin is pretty hot right now. So I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things we can pick apart a little bit their their story, but I think probably it's better to talk about the broader scope of what are some of the common mistakes we see that distilling operations make or that, you know, they can run into that really hurt them. And that, you know, we could break that down into startup, you know, and kind of long-term mistakes. Cause those are two different conversations, I think. All right. So what do you guys see when let's, let's do kind of startup stuff. What are the common startup mistakes distilleries make? They either put too much money in marketing or too much money in production and aren't splitting that sort of divide that you have to have. 
Are there well, are there companies that put too much in marketing though? I mean, how often does that actually happen? I mean, Destor might be an example of that. I'm not sure. Uh, Destor, from from everything I saw on Google, that is the example. On the Googles, on the Googles, they put a ton of money into marketing, but didn't have sort of the sales force to back up okay. that side of. But they, I know that I know that's kind of lumped together. Sure, but, but I mean, they had more than enough capacity, right? They definitely weren't at a production deficit. Is that correct? Because I think they had a much higher ceiling of what they could produce compared to what they were selling. Yeah, they could produce something like two hundred thousand cases. Right. They weren't. They weren't there. Yeah. So it, it definitely wasn't a production side thing. So and they, they, I think they're kind of that unicorn though. People that spend too much money on marketing. Because honestly, from what I've seen, especially when we're talking smaller producers, it's a lack of marketing force. And I guess that ties back to maybe the sales force. Maybe they had too much marketing but not enough closing. I mean, we can kind of get into the weeds on that. Right. So, I mean, it seems like it seems like they went national. There were a lot of ads and everyone knew about it. Right. But then you don't have you don't have any feet on the ground actually there to take orders. So. That's that's what I think the bigger thing is uh, because I, I don't want to get fall into the think too small, too, because I right. think I, I think you're, you're playing a dangerous game. You're like, worry about our backyard and everything I'm like, well, yeah, but. I, th- I also think it's important to sell in other states, but Colton has a good point. You can get into another state, but if it's not moving, yeah, it's not. It's not just hurting you, right? It you actually costs money with all you know fees, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and everything you end up paying, right? Well, and I think it's important too that we're not trying to pick on Death's Door by any means because they're in a rough situation right now, and hopefully things could still turn out. You know, go through bankruptcy proceedings, maybe they'll get some a uh, buyer. You know, they'll get some sort of. Uh, they'll get some money floated up to them to make sure everything works out okay because we don't want to see the you know there are people that have jobs there and we want to make sure everything works out okay for them and they do have a portfolio of products that people do respect and i think in one of the articles i did see they specifically said that uh i know they were saying that they wish they would have focused a little more on their backyard as opposed to going so hardcore national which i think but to back to zeno's point i think you have a solid uh you have to have plans for expansion because you have to be able to continue to grow. It's just you got to make sure the sales back up that that marketing budget. Yeah, uh, one of one of the things I thought was interesting was they didn't have a front of house. They had no tasting room. Oh. They didn't do tours, so they had no cash flow tourism right in their in their door. That's really tough. Yeah, I mean, on the craft side, and that that plays out in almost every data study I've seen that anywhere from 40 to 50% of the revenue on a small craft producer comes from the tasting room. And we've talked about this before with Zeno, that that's not always, you know, that doesn't always have to be the main goal. But I'd say statistically across the country, that is where the most of the revenue comes, especially in those early Sure, I think that especially when you're talking about a local, right, being in your backyard, absolutely. Right. But I don't think... I don't think, you know, you have to rely on that. No, it just helps. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure helps. it helps. I think yeah. if you have, if you can execute and you have the right people logistically to sell outside of your market, inside your market, bringing people in through your doors is kind of a moot point. Well, let me ask a product question about them. Again, using them as a case study because they were known for their gin, for other unaged products. They may have been laying down some product, but they weren't necessarily known for that. What do you think that was a mistake? Not 
having more aged products, specifically whiskeys, I mean, has that hurt them on the market? Is that one of the things that maybe damaged their brand and made it so that they didn't have some of the, uh, the sales I don't potential think. for, but I mean, look at, look at Aria, right. I want to keep going back to people that I like a lot. Right. He, he makes yeah. one thing, right. So I, yeah, that's too hard to point on like, Oh, well, nobody gave a shit about them because they made clear spirits. Right or unaged spirits, because like, people give a shit. Of, yeah, people give a shit about it's a bunch everywhere. of the ones that yeah. that's all they do. So I wouldn't pin that on that specific reason. And you know, I think that to be honest with you, for something to go that wrong at that level, a lot of things had to go wrong. It's almost of a perfect storm, right? Sure. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm looking at their site now. They do have, you know, they have their bourbon. They have a whiskey. Uh, it looks like the bourbon, gin, vodka, whiskey, and a wonderment. Those are the big things they have on their their site here. What is that? It's Wonder a bourbon Mint? liqueur. <laughs> <laughs> Sold. Hey guys, we should go in and buy Death's Store. There's potential there. <laughs> okay, let me scrape up all my pennies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are you drinking a beer, Colton? I am. I also have a glass of oh, Calvados. Okay. It's cold down here. I wanted a, a you wanted a cold I wanted a cold stout yeah. to warm me up. <laughs> Dude, it, it was like eighty degrees down here on Sunday. It was insane. Oh yeah, it was warm here on Sunday, but apparently it's supposed to snow next. I don't want to talk to any listener in uh, Wisconsin about how, <laughs> how I'm nervous for yeah. my one inch of snow. <laughs> oh, right? I mean, we're all going to uh, Minnesota in February, so it's going to get real interesting. Lis- listener is well versed in being afraid of one inch. <laughs> oh, and there goes listener. <laughs> yeah, but that's where Mall of America, isn't it? Is that where that is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We're making things up. It's in Minnesota. I don't know. Do, if it's in but, Minneapolis. But... Yeah. Wait, still <laughs> talking. We're a podcast with conjecture and <laughs> no. No specifics. Pure whatsoever. speculation. Yeah. yeah. Do you love uneducated guesswork? <laughs> Tune in every week because we talk Do you shit. Like zero preparation or talent. <laughs> but we have a positive attitude. Oh. So when we use this, we talk. You know, talk about death door. We don't know what happened. Right. And like, I mean, for no. them to say we should have focused on our backyard more. Yeah, I don't know that that's true necessarily. Do we? Where are they based out of? Wisconsin. They're between between Washington Island and uh, and what is it? And the Door County what? Peninsula. Wait, what? I mean, that's that's part of They're inspired by You're saying words, passageway. but it's, I don't understand. It's because I don't know. Where is that? A state. I mean. It's in Wisconsin. I told you. He already said it. Is it? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to. They're in Middleton, Middleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. So, do you think? No offense, Middleton, Wisconsin, but do you think the people of Middleton, Wisconsin, are going to keep uh, that business alive? Well, I think I think they're talking about all of Wisconsin. Yeah, and they're big drinkers. They are. You know what they like in Wisconsin? Bourbon cream. Brandy Old Fashions. Oh, there you go. Always back to the Brandy Old Fashions. Ah. Well, okay. 
let's maybe maybe instead of getting into the minutia of actually talking about what mistakes distilleries make that can make them go out of business, let's actually talk about distilleries going out of business because that's something that's starting to happen a little more and more. I mean, we're, everyone we have, everyone predicts a washout soon, right? I mean, and I think that's there's some truth to that. Even though we still have a lot of startups coming on, and I think all the startups coming on now are actually better positioned than a lot of the startups five or six years ago because they tend to have better business plans, more money. They've already learned from what's been established by other distilleries. There's better laws. There's less regulation. Things like that. But sure, it's, a lot it's, of these, I was just going to say, a lot of these distilleries that did start five or six years ago. And we've said this before, if they're not cash positive yet, even just minutely, they're, I mean, it's tough. They only have another couple of years ahead of them, or maybe, you know, they're scraping by month to month. And what's, what's going to happen? Are we going to see, do you think it's going to hit all at once? Are we going to just see a small attrition where they kind of drop off one at a time? We get a couple articles here and there. Because that's the thing is most of these distilleries just don't die overnight they tend to die slower deaths where, you know, Wait, they have when aspects. you say all, when you say all at once, do you mean like 20, we wake up one day and 20 distilleries have closed? Yes. Yeah, Zeno has killed 20 distillers. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> Why am I like distillery Hitler? <laughs> well, you made it so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I just wanted well, that. You just, well, because you, you made it sound like like they're all going to go at once. Like there's like some. <laughs> I don't want to say Mess. Holocaust again. Now it's getting real bad. Wow, uh, we got the subtitle of this episode, and no one yeah. will ever. Click Happy on. Hanukkah! It's like day three of Hanukkah. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I personally don't think we're going to see a huge influx of of you know businesses dropping out. At least uh, they might. We just won't hear about it as much. I think that's one of the big things. Is like. Every story like Death's Door that actually gets some sort of, you know, media attention, there's a lot of other smaller distilleries that don't have that kind of notoriety or name recognition that just kind of slowly drop off or get acquired by, you know, someone else for pennies on the dollar. And then they just kind of keep plugging along. Right. Well, isn't, isn't part of Death's Door declaring bankruptcy so they can continue? Isn't it like so they don't have to just close? Right. Right, I, exactly. So that they essentially can, they can deal with their Some, debt. Someone can buy it and take it over, and yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So that I mean, and yeah, you're right. That's one of the reasons. It's not we're just hearing about sell it. off their inventory, and mm -hmm. which I know, think that's wash, that's wash probably. And I might be wrong on this, but I think that's more likely what'll happen to some of these distilleries is they tend to shutter their doors after they sell off some assets, but you don't necessarily hear about them anymore. They just kind of yeah, you, they just stop showing up. I want to go back to something you were saying about like, oh, the people coming in now or more recently are better set up because that's like the old rule. You don't want to give the presentation first. You want to give the presentation second, right? You see what the first person does that didn't right. play yeah. to the crowd and you can, you know, move quickly on your feet to do that. And like the, people are going to see some of the mistakes or like, hey, this scale is too small or this scale is too ambitious so I definitely think there there's part of that. And I want to bring a parallel back to to beer, because really that's what we do every time on this fucking podcast. <laughs> is, uh, how old is craft beer, or wait, how old is the craft distilling industry? What do you guys, if you had to put an age on it right now? 15? 20? Well, yeah. I'm just going to keep saying numbers. 25? Just keep throwing I usually, I usually break it up into 
three three categories, which are like the early guys, so eighties, Saint George, yep. and so like Saint George, Jermaine Robin, right. those guys, eighty four, eighty six, somewhere in that range, right? And then and then like mid two thousands was sort of phase two, some of the bigger guys, and then late twenty ten to now is kind of phase three. I, I, I would I would legitimately agree with that. I think you had yeah those early adopters, which maybe there was a few dozen of them. A lot of them in California, and mm. yeah, they did a lot of brandy things like that. And then you had I'd say really 2001. You had a couple people start picking up in certain places like Oregon and a few you know New Deal in Oregon, um, a couple other smaller ones. I think New York might have had a few adopters in there. And then yeah, like end of you know like. 2008 to 20, 2012, that's when you started seeing things really pick up. Yeah. My point is, is the bubble burst in craft brewing at a certain amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. And I, maybe we're at that, right, where I think... As well, a, so they, we, had, they had two bubbles, though, right? They, they, had, they did, and they're, yeah, they're going to have a third coming soon. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. But, I mean... You heard it here first, listener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three bubbles. Three bubble rule. Um i don't even know what that means um but i mean it's it's destined to happen i think it's going to be more of a it's definitely going to plateau a little bit you just can't grow at this rate and we talk about that all the time on here but you know i think i wonder i keep going back to what you said about new people coming in and how it's changing the way people are designing their distilleries and it's I think there's a little bit less passion project and rich guy fucking around and a little more, no, this has to be a viable business for it to actually succeed. Right. I think, I yeah. think you can't get away with this is my passion project and I'm a rich guy fucking around. Yep. Which yeah. is good. It's, it's good for everyone. I mean, it's brutal. And some of those people turned into like, maybe they turn into great distilleries, right? I'm not shaming anyone specifically i'm shaming everyone collectively um so but i think that you know something that's happened in brewing again too is that you have like these joint venture programs where they're not buying out breweries but they're literally giving seed money ab gives seed money to breweries and they're like go start a brewery yeah and here's your here oh you have a business model for a brewery okay let us support that and we have a stake in that brand and have another one in our portfolio and like you know, I think we're years and maybe to where that happens, but there is going to be some kind of shift because there has to be right now. Yeah, I, I, you're right. We've said this a couple times on the podcast, but I, I would, I would echo it that I don't see a bubble happening. I see things slowing down in that plateau, but I think that's more like you said, businesses coming of age and being a little more practical. Because I'm seeing it too on the guild side. You know, we're starting to see states that had no guild presence at all they're building guilds they're learning from other states they're becoming more practical a little more established and they're helping their peers and they're all kind of communally they're sharing more information than they had before and we're getting more people with more consolidated education which i think helps a lot more too Um, i think the biggest problem we're going to have some of the bottlenecks we have we're going to have an employee bottleneck you know, really skilled workers, distillers, employees, operators. We're, we're already hitting that to a certain degree. So that slows growth a little bit. Um, we've got some investment. You know, some of those acquisitions, I think, are slowing down a little bit uh, as some of these big brands. Also, and you've got, you know, we're getting off into a separate category, but 
uh, the legalization of marijuana in Canada and in a lot of the states in the U.S., you're seeing some of these big brand owners diversify and starting to pick up some of those brands. So I think spirits and alcohol might investment might slow a little bit because of that. So I again, my feeling is spirits is coming of age. It's not gonna bu- it's not gonna burst anytime soon. But it has. I think it's already started to slow, and it will probably slow a little bit more because of some of those outside factors. One of the things that actually I think helps protect us from a bubble that beer didn't have is it's easier to start a brewery not to diminish how much effort goes into starting a brewery but it's a lot harder to start a distillery you need more money you need more time you know it it takes a little bit it takes a lot of work to start a distillery so you kind of have that uh you have that natural vetting out of people i think to begin with yeah candy ass brewers Right? But That's what you were just said. I was. And I can say that because we're a distilling podcast, even though listener probably is exclusively a brewer that accidentally downloads our podcast. I don't. So it's not a, a. All right. So, like, we're like at a puberty phase of the of our industry, Gross, right? But yes. Very descriptive. Yep. Like, we're getting hair in funny places and our cousin is more attractive all of a sudden. <laughs> I feel like we're getting a very specific example of puberty wait, from wait someone on this podcast. <laughs> Wait a it second. was me, guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the, yeah. Cousin's always attractive. I feel yeah. a Tennessee joke coming up. Yeah. Right. It's our Tennessee. I'm, I'm, I'm south of the Mason Dixon line. I can say <laughs> things like that now. Uh, okay. Okay. So, puberty phase. Go on. Oh, uh, I don't know. There wasn't. <laughs> okay. You just wanted to paint that picture. Thanks. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah. that. No, because we're in like this. It's this weird. Nobody knows how it's gonna grow, right? And they're they're trying new things, like having sex with a tomato, <laughs> uh, right? Like, right. But I mean, they're like they're trying new things. Like, okay, well, so is it the? Yeah, we came back to is it the contract distilling model? Is it the different sizes? They're like, okay, should I? I source juice, right? I'm calling it juice again. Now I fucking hate it. Um, now it's solvent, like, remember? Yeah. Wet solvent. Right. Sourcing moist, solvents. I'm moist like, okay, well, solvent. Moist solvent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my only sourcing solvents, just so I can wait out my, you know, I have the capital to put down my bulk spirits. And I look at, like, look at the business plan of, like, a Virginia distilling, right? And they, they bring in all that Highland single malt and barrel yeah. finish it. That's, that, you know, that that's different. Right, like so. That's not their long-term game, though, either. I mean, they're no, they're growing their own two-row, like a very specific varietal, and like they're doing their thing. Right, that's that's their goal, and cool, good on them. Right, but that's a little bit of fucking a tomato, you know. Like, I think they're gonna try something. I think one of the things we're starting to see now too is, for a long time, people were sort of taking lessons from the beer world and trying to follow it a little more exact where go local go sort of brew pub style go you know you can survive if you as long as your local presence is strong and a lot of distilleries started to find out that's that's a lot harder on your distilling scale when you're paying x amount more and taxes for every drop and all your fees and you know and people don't drink yeah quite as the rate that they drink beer (laughs) well because they're candy ass brewers So yeah, that's, it is. I, but I think that's that's kind of why we're starting to see a lot more funding coming in and and the new guys coming on are you know stronger 
long-term marketing plans and everything like that well and again i don't want this episode necessarily to get too pessimistic because honestly i'm i'm really optimistic about the state of the industry we're getting it's the industry is and i'm overusing this phrase but it's coming of age we're getting stronger we're getting smarter we're getting better educated we have better experienced professionals doing the job now you know and you know we're learning learning a lot of lessons really quickly for a young industry i think and we're seeing a lot of really promising products and companies and professionals coming on board and still we still have that passion which i i personally am really biased towards and love and that's one of the reasons we talk about this every week is because we freely love our industry and what we do so we're in a really great scenario i think we just have to be very practical about it because i think Zeno especially has said this passion won't get us the full you know it won't take us to the end zone anymore we've got to be practical too and i think just play off that a little bit we you know we've mentioned a couple of times how it's it's hard to find high quality experienced people but as our industry grows so does the education side yes where there's there's fermentation science schools popping up all over the place and you know right now they're focused on brewing because that was you know that was the major player when they started designing these programs yep but as distilling grows and as we can start helping fund some of these programs we can start getting getting kids experience right out of school yep. or during school versus right now they have brewing experience it, bl- it blows my mind that like you know Diageo Suntory Constellation like some of these bigger brands aren't pushing that further yeah Right, like it just—it's why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I know there should be there should be disc. They, they're starting to, but like, why the fuck are you starting to now? <laughs> yeah. Right, like, how long have you been making spirits in this country, you dumb bastards? Right, like, what don't you want something with some qualifications or under solid foundation of understanding? No, nobody needs to know about chemical engineering or <laughs> how things. Yeah, work. but if you think about it, when you're yeah. coming from a giant brand like brand company like Diageo. They have the money to go poach someone from Europe. You know, they can bring someone from overseas. They don't necessarily have to train their own people within the states. They have resources that most of their smaller producers won't. They don't have. And that's why sure. all met- of their master distillers have funny names. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Like, fuzzy. All right. yeah. I mean, I guarantee you, listener, isn't master distiller, but. Actually, that's not true. You might be master distiller. I'm very sorry. We just had a podcast making fun of you anyway. So, I found I I actually met I met the guy who who was a European guy. Yeah, right. It's to your point from Diageo who took over. You know, Bayou Rum. Yeah. Right, and the guy the guy was a total fucking boss. I'm like, oh yeah, all right. That guy could like make me disappear in a split second. Yeah, I know those guys. He like he like winks at. A mirror and a black SUV like hits me over the head. <laughs> you know, like in the movie. Just like in the movie. I'm cutting out the details. You are. You are. Right? You're cutting to the chase. Of, you yeah. are in New Orleans, so I, I don't know how things work there. So I, I get your point, but and then we went off on the education thing. And you're right. There's all these tangential industries that will be forced to be better, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of them. I think. I think. All right. So you know what? That's a great. There's a great point in that. Look at the fucking dis, the still choices that you have right. now, right? Like manufacturers. It's insane. 
Right. You can, there's a bunch of different stills that you can the do. The support about. industries and, are so much better than they were five years ago. And But they're going to have to be, the, that fallout's going to happen, you know, if there is a bubble burst or a adolescence. Is that what you said? <laughs> All right. You're the one calling it puberty. <laughs> yeah. Right, like, yeah. So, it, you know, if we fuck the proverbial tomato, um, maybe you need a new microwave to warm that tomato up. And like, you know, this is analogies getting real off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Right. Leave the tomatoes um, alone, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I would like listener to write in and try to gather what Cena is saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I see what you're saying about the support industries and vendors and things like that, but I'd actually argue they're the ones probably better positioned to take advantage of everything because again, with distilleries kind of dying slow deaths, you know, their business doesn't necessarily completely disappear. There are other people that come on board buy their, you know, buy up that inner inventory. Uh, they re-diversify. There's other companies coming on board. And again, as we're saying, a lot of these new startups are better established. They're planning ahead. They're not buying tops at the last minute. You know, they're, they're not calling saying, hey, I need closures next week. I'm going to market. They tend to actually plan out now. So I think vendors have actually been the ones to really benefit from a better educated you know, distiller base and these distillers with a little more money behind them can make better purchases on their, you know, on their consulting and things like that. We've seen consulting, that industry has grown. We've seen education grow. We've seen, I think the support industries, they're probably going to keep growing at a better pace than even some of the distilleries. I might be wrong on that, but that's kind of my feeling is that they're in a really good position. Yeah. Cause there's a level of insulation, right? right. That is, you know, they're not the producer. So they have many producers that are their clients. Right. So, you know, who's really going to do well is the like publications, the magazines. They're going to do great. They're the safe word. They're the, the safe word. word. <laughs> because if the industry's bad, they have something to write about. And if the industry's good, they have something to write about. You know, that is actually. You cheeky fucking bad. I know. I, I know. Yeah. They're the worst publishers doing trade journals yeah. and education. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I like, there's no point where I don't have content to write about. Like when, like even right now, and we can get into this maybe in the next podcast. We should definitely talk about the rule changes for TTV, those proposed rule changes with labels and uh, product categories. That's a ton of really interesting content that benefits me to talk about because that's stuff readers will pick up and want to know. But it's it's it really could shake up the industry a little bit. There's some, there's some elements in there that I think will, are, are already gathering people's attention. I'm getting calls all, all the time about that. now. Are we going to have the barrel debate? <sighs> yeah. I mean, we should wrap this one up and then let's jump into that on the next one. I don't I just, I'm just like, when you said I want the people want to know, and I thought of the song, you know, I want to know what you're thinking. And then I was like, if I sing this, Nobody's gonna know because you fucking monsters don't listen to words in music. That's true. We are. You cool. could you could hum the so tune. Like, I might know. I, it. <laughs> I, I sing on this fucking podcast all the time. Yeah. Wait, you, you do? I'm an idiot. <laughs> you just. I thought you and just. And I sing a lot of things. Oh, those are actually and, words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Wait, did you guys get my whole Whitney Houston? You know what song I'm talking about? Who's a Whitney Houston? Is she? <laughs> does she own a distillery in New Orleans that I'm not? God, I wish you lived closer to me just so I could shit on your pillowcase. Ah, <laughs> beat you to it. I don't that would be a weird thing to do. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I warm up my tomato and I shit my pillowcase and call it a night. 
All right, I think on that note, we can wrap this one up. Uh, <laughs> to the grunts. <laughs> uh, any clo- final thoughts? Final thoughts. Zeno, give us a final thought. Why do I got to go first? Right, I gotta go I'll, first? I'll go thought. first. Okay, go first, Golden. All right, much like distillery publications, when there's good times and there's bad times, Brian always has something to write about. When there's good times and bad times, people are always drinking. So don't worry at all about this past 30 or 45 minutes that we just talked about. (laughs) There will be booze to be had. Yeah. There's a really good point that the alcohol industry is somewhat recession-proof. And distilling, even if there is a slowdown, again, it's not going to be a bubble because... I mean, when when did we say phase two of... You know, the big distillery boom was around 2008. Right. There's something else going on then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like 10 years ago. So we <laughs> we have a pretty high ceiling, I think. We still have a lot of growth. And, you know, I mean, you can listen to, uh, you know, ADI is really well known for being really hyper optimistic. And I think there's some truth to that. They They are seeing a lot of people still coming in and asking a lot of questions and they see the most startups of anyone else in this industry. And even though I think they can be a little too overly optimistic sometimes, there is some truth to the fact that there's still a lot of room for growth. And even if we do hit a few rough patches, this industry is, we're in a pretty good position. People like to drink. There's a lot of really innovative and smart people here. And I think we that's one of the reasons associations, guilds, they matter. So keep working together. That's my biggest thing for a final thought is work together. Make sure you're, you know, sharing education. We have a pretty strong industry. Oh, man, you're so inclusive and kind. And I'm like, let it burn. (laughs) (laughs) More, no, I'm not like that at all. I think whatever happens, it's growth and, you know, uh, addition by subtraction, whatever it might be, right? It's going to force everyone to be a little bit better and make better decisions, whether you're coming on you've been a well-established distillery, what kind of moves you're going to make, or, you know, you're, you, you started a couple of years ago and you're like, wow, look at these people that didn't work. This didn't work. Let's try this. So I think it's good for the consumer. I think it's good for our, our industry. Yeah. It's not going to be without struggle, but you know, when you struggle, you're going to be forced to be creative and really, you know, the people that are going to make it are going to make it for a reason. And, there's a lot that we can learn from that and all enjoy from that. Well said. So it's like a controlled burn, right? Like what does they do with crops? Survival of the fittest. Yeah. Darwinism at its yeah. finest. I don't believe in that. I the seventh I'm a seven day creation guy. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. Also, the world is flat. I oh, you beat as... me to it. I was gonna do the flatter too. And I don't vaccinate. I heard that as seven day secretion guy. I was very confused. What? Seven day secretion? <laughs> Dude, if I'm secreting for seven days. Uh, that's because I'm you didn't vaccinate. Because <laughs> <laughs> I walked oh, to the edge of the learned. earth. <laughs> and you caught measles, you douche. <laughs> I caught measles at the edge of the earth. Uh, I'm sorry, listener. Definitely give us a negative review on wherever you can find us online. We deserve it. We're sorry. We're not actually. We're not sorry at all. That's... Or tell me your flat Earth theories. I'm, Ooh, I'm into yes. that. Yes. Next episode, Zeno talks right. flat Earth. Because you know I don't like science. <laughs> <laughs> Barrel maturation is a myth. <laughs> yeah. It only works because the Earth is flat. Ah, touche. Hey, 
Thanks, Karen, from Still Talking. Still Talking. I meant my teeth creative. Um, oh, really blew that one. Yeah, you did. you did a terrible yeah. job on that. Uh, I feel like we don't thank her enough, and she still helps us. So I just want to say this episode is made possible by our friends. At High Proof Creative. At Still Talking. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> 